Welcome back, everybody. Another episode of Unwritten Rules, an Iowa Cubs podcast is upon us. For all those interested in all of our past, present, and future episodes, check us out online at iowacubs.com. Make sure you follow us on all of our social media outlets and subscribe to Unwritten Rules on Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts, as well as Amazon Music. Fun episode coming up today, one of my personal favorites, a former broadcaster episode. My guest today, arguably minor league baseball's most well-regarded and well-liked employee, nearly three decades working in the game, 15 years as a longtime radio voice of the Cedar Rapids Colonels, and working his fifth year as a member of the Iowa Cubs front office. Number one in your programs, number one in the media guides, number one in your hearts, John Rogers. Thanks for joining us. John, what's up? Alex, thanks so much. It's very, very kind of you. I just am overwhelmed by your your kind words and gosh I want to paint the picture as we do as broadcasters you and I are behind home plate with the best seats in the house all green on the field right now 61 degrees and if we could like duplicate this for opening day on April 12th I think we'd take that absolutely no it's I was uh, telling our producer Justin that I've been uh, working all day downstairs and love my office but to come up here and see that green grass you just spoke of it just it, it makes you realize we're we're heading towards uh we're heading towards opening day. John, before we get into the fun stories that we've encountered during our time in, in minor league baseball, I do want to bring up something important. Now you're wearing an Iowa Cup shirt and wearing cubby blue on, but you bleed red. You're from the St. Louis area. You're a Cardinals fan. When you get this job offer with the Iowa Cubs, how much was you, were you thinking, like, man, I don't know if my friends and family could be okay with this? Well, I did have to keep it under my hat for a good long time, Alex, and for both the iCubs hire and my friends and family. Um, a couple of things come to mind. You're right. I did grow up near St. Louis in Alton, Illinois. It's in southwestern Illinois, a beautiful, historic bluff town on the Mississippi River, and that's Alton, Illinois. It's Claim to fame, it's it's home to Robert Wadlow, the world's tallest man, 8 feet 11 inches tall. You're pretty close to that. <laughs> well, at least in my shoe size, right? Sam Burnaby, our president, always kids me about my size 16 shoes. Uh, but He's he- the shack of the office. <laughs> well, believe me, they get in my way plenty of times. Uh, yes, growing up listening, broadcasters, to Harry Carey and Jack Buck, some of our younger Cub listeners uh, don't realize that Harry Carey's career started in uh, with the St. Louis Cardinals as a radio broadcaster, and his sidekick or uh, second announcer was Jack Buck. So you grow up listening to those guys, and you look up when you go to a game and see below the broadcast booth KMOX radio or KMOX, just those four call letters. And as a little boy, one of the things I had a couple of goals for career, but one was to say sometime I want to be in a professional baseball stadium with the call letters of a station below and me get have the joy of, of calling baseball games. But as far as your question goes, yes, uh, I now have a Cardinal pennant in my office space and I share my office with longtime iCub employee. Director of Premium Seating, Brent Conkle. And Brent is also a Cardinal fan, so there's a little... We put you all in one place. (laughs) Um, Mike Blake, our front desk ambassador, is also a Cardinal fan. So there's... And you know, Alex, you know this from getting a bird's eye view of the ballpark. When the Memphis Redbirds come here, we're not exaggerating. We see three 350 Cardinal jackets, shirts, jerseys here. Now... You grew up in Alton, Illinois. Obviously, you were on the other side of the Cubs-Cardinals rivalry. 
Have you been to Cubs-Cardinals games? And if you have, what is one game of the Cubs-Cardinals rivalry that sticks out in your mind? Oh, gosh, Alex. Yes, many times at Bush Stadium I would go see the Cubs-Cards and at least eight or nine games, maybe more, at Wrigley Field. And the one that stands out was in 1974, as a, I think I was about 16 years old, Lou Brock stole his 700 career base, and I just had one of those old, funky 70s cameras, took a picture of it. Happened- yeah, I see it in your pocket right now. You still have it. <laughs> I carry it with me like Bob Costas carries Mickey Mantle's baseball card. Alex is just kidding, guys. Uh, I The picture came out pretty well. Steve Swisher is the catcher. It shows him having just released the ball. Lou Brock with his patented hard feet-first slide as opposed to Ricky Henderson, who broke his career stolen base record. Ricky had that uh, famed head-first slide. Lou slid hard feet-first. Don Kessinger, the Cubs shortstop, is leaning over in the dust because Swisher's throw was to the second base side of the base, and Kessinger was the shortstop. So I have that picture in a on a wall in my apartment dedicated to some of my great Cardinal memories, and that was between the Cards and Cubs. You have a shrine to the Cardinals in your apartment. You're going on record and saying that. On a wall, not on the, the wall. whole. Not okay, the not, the, <laughs> not the entire wall, but right. as part of the wall. And Alex, as a quick addendum to that, another Lou Brock Cub Cardinal story, and I don't mean to rub it in, Cub fans, but I was at the game and have a certificate and the scorebook I used the scorecard I used, rather, of Lou Brock's 3,000th hit at Bush Stadium against Cub right-hander Dennis Lamp. Lamp had knocked Brock down earlier in the game, and Lou fittingly lined a shot, a BB, about uh, a foot and a half off the ground and hit Dennis Lamp in the shin just to give him a little bit of message back. And so those are two memories of, of Cub Cardinal rivalries that both centered a little bit or a lot around Lou Brock. All right, before we get into your career, I'm going to ask you a couple rapid-fire questions. Give us your best answer. Favorite game you've ever been to? Oh, boy, Game 7 of the 1982 World Series standing room only ticket Cubs and Car, excuse me, got Cubs on my mind. Cardinals and Milwaukee Brewers, the so-called World Beeries between two beer-producing uh, cities. Game seven, the Cardinals won it. Uh, strikeout of Bruce by Bruce Souter of Gorman Thomas to end the game. So, Game seven, 1982 World Series, Cards Brewers. He said it with his eyes closed. He was drawing up the imagination and visualizing. Uh, have you ever caught a foul ball? No, but I have to say, uh, in Peoria, Hank Conger hit a foul ball when I was a broadcaster for the Cedar Rapids Colonels. He hit the foul ball, Alex, and it was coming right at me. And I leaned back in my chair, and I'm not exaggerating. Our equipment manager, Ron Pline, will never forget this. I literally went head over heels. The dugout could see my feet, those size 16 sticking up in the air, and it. I pulled all my radio equipment off the counter. Luckily, it was not knocked out of commission, and I did get the foul ball, but I did not catch the foul ball. Okay, so you didn't catch the foul ball, but you have the foul ball. Did you ever, have you ever caught a home run ball? I have not. I have come early to batting practice many times at Bush Stadium, but... No, I have not caught a, a home run ball. Okay, never caught a home run ball. And if you have autographs or if you have collected autographs, what's your favorite autograph you have? Probably 
Lou Brock, Stan Musial, but even above them, and this may sound uh, strange as a Cardinal fan, uh, Brad Six from Center Plate, our food and beverage partner here at Principal Park, gave me an autograph ball when he because he used to work in Kansas City, Brad did, of George Brett. Really? And the reason I prize that, Alex, is in my opinion, George Brett played the game the right way. He hustled every ground ball out. He was the best I ever saw at taking an extra base. And so that George Brett autograph ball uh, means a lot to me. If you were going to get a tattoo of any Cardinal player on your bicep of all time, who would it be? Boy, Alex, hats off to you. These are great questions. It would be the most recent Cardinal Hall of Fame inductee, Ted Simmons. Ted played in the shadow of Johnny Bench during the 1970s. He was a switch hitting catcher, a clutch hitter. If they had things like exit velo and line drive rates uh, back then, Ted Simmons hit in he hit everything hard and he was a switch hitter with power great clutch hitter so Ted Simmons would be on my bicep that would be it would be a big uh, tattoo for your big bicep but before we get into your career let's talk about unwritten rules and Iowa Cubs podcast to check out all of our past present and future episodes check us out online at iowacubs.com make sure you give us a follow of all of our social media outlets and subscribe to unwritten rules on Spotify Apple and Google Podcasts as well as Amazon Music here with John Rogers longtime employee of the Iowa Cubs even a longer employee of minor league baseball John what made you want to get into to minor league baseball you know, what was the, the process like applying for that first job uh, a couple years ago and what made you want to break into the industry thanks Alex I think it was much like a lot of our uh, counterparts is growing up listening to the game on the radio having Harry Carey make every game sound like the seventh inning or the seventh game of the World Series he was electric he was exciting and laying your head down on the pillar for, pil pillow for the West Coast games um, going to the games and, as I said before, looking up to that broadcast booth and saying, wow, someday, someday, I don't know when, I want to try to do that. And I made the leap of faith, uh, left a secure, fun, good career in intercollegiate Division III NCAA uh, athletics uh, up in Minnesota as a teacher and coach and did not have a background in broadcasting, simply went to Bush Stadium and Royal Stadium, bought a general admission ticket up in the top 10 rows behind home plate, only had the Sporting News and Baseball Digest to use as my preparation for notes and statistics, and I called the game into an old-fashioned cassette tape recorder. I love that. And did it that way. That was my so-called audition tape. Wasn't very good, Alex, but I took it with me. And my mom gave me a great piece of advice. She said, John, rather than sending these tapes with a letter, they probably get a lot of those. And she was right. These teams, these minor league teams, probably get dozens, if not hundreds, from folks like you, who John, who want to break in. So she suggested I rent a car and look at cities across the country she didn't know which ones and I decided rookie ball in class A she said get in your car and just drive in the fall and winter to these places and knock on doors unannounced no you drove meetings. through Iowa in winter voluntarily <laughs> I did Alex I remember distinctly it was my last trip it was in November I went to Clinton Burlington and Quad Cities and my last stop was Cedar Rapids where I wound up getting a position but I visited 36 Class A and rookie ball teams in all parts of the country with a Motel 6 guide and a rent-a-car 
with my uh, tape and resume, and it ranged. Some general managers were in. They were in their office and said, sure, I've got a few minutes. Others weren't in, so I waited or left the tape and, and a personal note with them. Some were uh, not, they were out of town, but the ones that gave me the time of day, or more than that, they gave me their time, uh, it, it was uh, a great introduction to the business, and they kept saying, John, it's fine to want to be a broadcaster, but you better want to sell as well. And uh, That rhymes, it, sell as well. <laughs> it worked out that at the end of my sojourn, my last stop was Cedar Rapids, Iowa, and I got to talk to their longtime general manager, Jack Rader. Two weeks later, I got a call from a good friend of you and I, Johnny Doskow. He was the first he's ever. He's the best. Yeah, he's, he's he, the best. He's he's amazing, and he sure helped me because he he in, he was there when I met Jack Rader, and Johnny had when he called me, he said, John, I just took a job in the California League with the High Desert Mavericks. Jack remembers you. Get on the phone and call Jack and tell him you're interested. And sure enough, I went up and interviewed for the job with uh, with three other candidates. And Jack said, John, I want you to know you're going to start at $13,500 a year. Your primary uh, responsibility will be to sell. And we certainly want a good quality broadcast. And, and I got the job. My first office was an umpire's room with no heat, a tiny little room in old Veterans Memorial Stadium. I'm sure that was great in the winter. Well, I had to bring a, uh, a electric blanket. That's what I have to bring up here on the third floor, too. <laughs> well, because Alex, both ballparks, Principal Park and old Veterans Memorial Stadium, we turned off the water. So we had to. We had the luxury of a porter, Johnny, in Cedar Rapids, and then there were mice in my office. But Jack did it the old-fashioned way. He handed me a phone book. And said, start dialing business. Was it the yellow pages? <laughs> it was. The yellow pages? <laughs> All right, so, so, you, so you get the job in Cedar Rapids, and you're a sales executive, and you're also a radio broadcaster. Mm -hmm. What was your first, like, oh, my God, I'm actually, like, calling games moment? Boy, I guess it was my first game in Battle Creek, Michigan at C.O. Brown Stadium. Like a lot of young broadcasters, Alex, I made the mistake, at, didn't know it was a mistake, of trying to impart every bit of baseball knowledge <laughs> I had. And I'm sure the broadcast was unappealing and uninspiring. But I did remember from that moment when I turned the microphone on that first game is, wow, I made it. I made a goal of mine, a dream to do this. So I guess you always remember that first broadcast. And like I say, it wasn't very good, but I, I was glad that I had uh, broken into the field. Are there any other games over your broadcast career that stick out in your mind? Championships, no hitters, perfect games, walk-off homers, bench-clearing brawls, anything that sticks out in your mind? Boy, I would say a playoff game, uh, Alex, in 1997 when, believe it or not, uh, the – uh, Burlington Bees or the Cincinnati Reds had two affiliates in the Midwest League. They had a team in Rockford, Illinois, and a team in Burlington, Iowa. And we were playing the Burlington Bees first round of the playoffs Labor Day weekend. And we were down uh, 11 to 3 in the bottom of the ninth inning. And we came back and rallied and wound up winning it uh, in the bottom of the ninth inning. A kid named Rob Sasser hit the game winning home run. 
much like Moonlight Graham in the movie uh, Field of Dreams, Rob played one game in the major leagues. But I remember, yeah, I remember Rob Sasser's home run, and uh, I went a little too crazy. Uh, learned from that. To do you have it. the call <laughs> somewhere in Cedar Rapids? Someone has. It. We need to find that. Oh. <laughs> well, I just I did go overboard on that call, but anyway, it, I tried to call it as a fan. I was excited. <laughs> Who was the best player who you saw? Either you're down at batting practice, you hear the crack of the bat, and you're just like, man, that's special. Or you watch them throw a BP and you hear the – or sorry, throw a, a bullpen session and you hear a – you just hear the fastball buzz and you're like, man, that that's different. Was there anybody who sticks out to you in regards to that? Great question, Alex. Let's start with the pitching. I was outside of Old Veterans Memorial Stadium, and for our listeners, Old Veterans Memorial Stadium was in Cedar Rapids from 1949 to 2001, and then the new stadium was built in 2002. Actually, this might have been in the new Veterans Memorial Stadium, but I remember being not outside the stadium, but way down the left field line in the picnic area, and I heard a pop and that sis, that uh, sound that you just described. Mm-hmm. And it was Josh Beckett doing um, not a rehab start, but a simulated game. Yeah. So th- that caught my attention. It just sounded different. <laughs> it did, both on the spinning of the ball and the pop in the catcher's mitt. I mean, it's just crazy. Even at this level, you see certain guys throw a bullpen session, you're like, that. it just looks different. And that's what – it wasn't even a game. You're right. There was It was a simulated game, and – as far as uh, the ball sounding different, and then I'll get to the some of the impressive guys, but we were in Lansing, Michigan, and of all people, Hesop Choi, the Korean-born former Cub first baseman, was taking BP, and I was preparing for the game in that crack you just alluded to Alex it's like a thwap yes it caught my attention yeah. and I turned around and it was he stopped joy now did he have a great major league career of course not but was he an accomplished big leaguer before he uh, collided with Kerry Wood on a foul pop-up at Wrigley yes he was um, and as far as uh, the best player or players gosh you know I'd start with Mike Trout as an 18 year old leadoff batter my last year in Cedar Rapids um, he he led the league in average stolen bases, runs scored, on base percentage, triples. So he was an electric player to uh, watch. Quintuple crowd. Hey, there you go. There you go. He he uh, had 44 steals, and it was only caught nine times when he was promoted on July 9th. Another great player was uh, Yadier Molina for the Peoria Chiefs. Likely story. Well, because he's a Cardinal, sure. But he you could tell he just bounced around the plate with this vigor and confidence. And again, little did I know he'd have a Hall of Fame career, but he caught my eye uh, with his leadership and his, his just his animated way of and love of playing the game. And gosh, you know, guys like Eric Hosmer and Burlington and uh, – I'm trying to think. Uh, Scooter Jeanette in uh, Appleton, Wisconsin. I had Scooter on one of my teams. Yeah, and he he sticks in my mind because he was one of the best opposite field hitters I ever saw. He burned the Colonels, my team. I was broadcasting for time and time again at Fox City Stadium with line drives into the left center field alley as a, a left-handed batter. So those are some of the names. Uh, John Lackey comes to mind. A good story about John. It was his first start with the Colonels back in 98, I believe. Randy Kramer was our pitching coach, a former Cub pitcher. And Lackey was so eager to get on the mound 
that he was in uniform six hours before the first pitch, and Randy Kramer thought, man, this guy really wants it. That's pretty good. As broadcasters, we, we get the honor and the pleasure to interview certain players, certain coaches, uh, general managers, uh, assistant to the general managers, former players, Hall of Famers. Has there been any interview or conversation or guest in the radio booth that, that you think back on now and you're like, oh, I can't believe I was able to talk to him. That's so cool. Oh, boy, Alex, you and I know, we're, as you said as a preface to the question, we are so blessed and and honored and thrilled and to do that, those type of things. Um, certainly some politicians come to mind, like Governor Tom Vilsack and his wife, Christy. But as far as personnel, I, I would start with a guy like Bill Stoneman, who was the architect of the Angels 2002 World Series, their one and only World Series championship. Just a kind, thoughtful made me as a, a broadcaster interviewing feel like a, a friend. He put me at ease. And I was nervous. It was the general manager of a World Series winning team uh, getting to interview Willie Wilson when he was a coach for the South Bend Silverhawks. I always looked up to Willie Wilson. He and Gary Templeton, who managed in Cedar Rapids and had the pleasure of knowing Gary, they're the only two players in baseball history uh, Chipper Jones didn't do it. Mickey Mantle didn't do it. Eddie Murray didn't do it. Those two guys are the only players to get 100 hits on each side of the plate as switch hitters. So getting to interview Willie Wilson of the Royals, uh, getting a chance to interview John McNamara, kind of a tragic figure uh, often associated with that tough loss the Red Sox took in in New York against the Mets. But he was a, a, a great gentleman. So uh, you just – remember those types of situation or those opportunities and yeah just had a lot of of great people uh umpire scouts were interesting to talk to um sometimes uh even Myra Noodleman who's now passed an, an entertainer uh, had him as a pregame guest and so the variety of what we get to do is is really uh unparalleled in any job yeah the one that sticks out to me was my first year year here um was having both Andre Dawson and Lee Smith on at the same time and it's just like you guys know more about baseball in like one appendage your finger your fingernail than I know over my entire career so just being able to talk with them and I mean Andre Dawson still looks like you know minus the the knee surgeries that he could still play and hit a couple home runs so they were that was the one moment I was like man this is this is pretty cool well absolutely Alex um I uh, got to interview Frank White in Burlington and I felt the same way about him as you did the Hawk and Lee Smith Alex were you nervous or more would excited about getting that chance to interview two hall of famers I, I was more excited when you get to that point it's more about survival mode and like don't screw this up um and i felt that in 2019 when we had the the democratic national convention here in iowa and we had presidential candidates come up and, and, and talk to us so talking to better work and uh, mayor pete and, and joe biden and or president biden and you know when they have their entire press team there and people snapping pictures of you uh, you just don't want to screw up. So it's just you, you get into a survival mode type of thing where it's like, hey, I'm not trying to get a Pulitzer Prize winning interview or article. I'm, I'm just trying to ask lobbing questions and just have dialogue for six to seven minutes. So I don't think that I was nervous. I was more anxious. Mm -hmm. 
I was more anxious. Oh, gosh, those are – imagine the listeners, the thrill of getting to hear Andre Dawson and Lee Smith being interviewed from Principal Park. I mean, that's pretty special. It is pretty special. Now, one of my best moments was a player who I met – off air and I didn't have my phone on me and I wasn't going to interview him but there are certain conversations and certain people that you meet that an interview just isn't the right time for me it was Ken Griffey Jr. my first year um, after a, a tough stretch for me as a first year broadcaster my manager at the time knew that that you know we had just lost 10 straight and you know my computer broke and I was just having a rough time and so he calls me, and I think I shared this on one of the other podcasts, uh, but he was just like, hey, you need to come down here. You screwed up something with the lineup. And a couple four-letter words, and he doesn't curse. So I thought I was going to get fired. Um, I walk down, and he's laughing at me in the locker room. I'm like, why are you laughing at me? Am I being punked? And there was a guy you know, sitting with his back turned to me. He turns around. It's Ken Griffey Jr. So my manager, before the beginning of the season, asked me, hey, where are you from? Who was your favorite player? And I said that, yeah, I'm from Philadelphia, but my favorite player, hands down, Ken Griffey Jr. And Darnell Coles, Ken Griffey Jr., both played on the Mariners together. We were playing a Mariners affiliate at the time. He was a special assistant to the general manager at the time. And Ken and Darnell still remained close. And they kind of pranked me. And at that time, I didn't have my phone on me, and I wasn't going to interview Ken anyway, but we talked for an hour, and he asked about my life, and I asked about his kids and his career, and it's just something that I will never forget. Are there any conversations that you've had off the record, off air, that you look back on now and be like, oh, so cool to meet him? Well, first of all, thank you for sharing your story. I can't imagine uh, the thrill and for for that to happen in your life, Alex, with your favorite ball player and you know, Seattle is notorious for being out on the upper Pacific Northwest. And I still think Ichiro is one of the best players of all time. And certainly Ken Griffey Jr. is. And yet so many people in the Midwest and, and media rich East Coast didn't get to appreciate those guys. But I would say uh, I would say getting to know uh, Gary Templeton. Uh, I was a little bit afraid when Gary was named manager of the Colonels in 1998 as an Angel affiliate because he'd had a rough go of it in St. Louis at, uh, and it prompted a trade which benefited the Padres. They went to the World Series in 1984 with Gary as their shortstop for Ozzie Smith who you know won a World Series and took the Cardinals to the postseason, helped many times. Uh, I thought, well, is Gary going to be a cantankerous, moody, standoffish, uh, aloof? And he was so kind and so welcoming and talked about how much he enjoyed playing for Dick Williams when he was traded to the Padres and what his dad meant to him growing up uh, in Los Angeles and how his dad taught him to switch hit and uh, how um, this job was good for him because it got him back to the uh, teaching, getting to teach young kids. And it just, I'll always remember that Gary, I would call him, he had a long-term hotel type deal, a uh, lengthy stay. And I could pick up the phone and call him in his motel or hotel room and say, Gary, what time are you going to be at the ballpark today? I would like to see if we could do this with you. Or, uh, And he was just a delight. And I, it restored my faith, Alex, that we all have hiccups or we trip in our lives. And Gary did something uh, to the Cardinal fans, an obscene gesture. He was a kid, and he was being booed. And he, he just reacted in the wrong like way. Like a human. Yes. And I, and I know he... 
So I thought, is he even going to be friendly to the media, much less John? And he was, and I'll always remember that. And uh, so I, I would say getting to know uh, Gary Templeton as a baseball man and as a, as a, as a person. Yeah, I, I had one like that, and he, he didn't really have as much of a rough instance with the fans. He was actually beloved, but uh, Jeff Supon was my pitching coach one year um, when I was in Idaho Falls, Idaho, rookie ball. And I didn't think I, I wasn't thinking he'd be aloof, uh, but he's a guy who spent a decade in the big leagues and was a minor league pitching coordinator and was at AAA for a while. Then going to rookie ball, I was afraid that he might not be happy and he might be my favorite person I've met in baseball. Um, he was the type of guy that took out the entire staff to dinner after every game and didn't make the staff pay a dime. He's like, I already got my time. I have plenty of money. I know how much you're making. You don't have any money, so I'm going to pay for you. And as long as you drank his favorite drink with him, he would just share stories and buy you food. And, you know, I went golfing with Jeff because he, he's just a people person. I mean, he just wants – he learns as much from you, me, and people like us than he does for people – in the clubhouse and the baseball operations staff. I mean, he wants to know everything and everything about what you're thinking because you see the team just as much as they do. So um, I I was very, very happy, honored to have that relationship with Jeff. And it restored my faith in former players as well, guys who, you know, could have thought, hey, I don't need to be in rookie ball, be a coach, but I'm going to take advantage of the situation. Alex, that's wonderful that you have that experience and, you know, you're right. A guy like Jeff Supon has nothing to prove, but obviously he was there because he wanted to be there and treated you guys and the staff the right way. It was so generous. That story about him always uh, taking the check uh, at the end of a postgame meal. I mean, that's that's so, that's so that's class. It was. That's class. There, there are guys like that yep. still in yep. the game. Yep. There are baseball purists and grinders and guys who, who understand – what it takes to get to that level and and guys who are working their way up, not just the players, but the coaches who are trying to make it to single A and double A. The broadcasters who are trying to make it to single A and double A. We're all part of the same team. And mm-hmm. I think that gets lost a little bit now with media and lockout talk and toxicity. Mm-hmm. And it, there's still baseball guys in the game who know how it's supposed to go. That's exactly right. And you and I are both fortunate to have interacted with many, many of those type of guys. All right, we're down to the seventh inning stretch here of Unwritten Rules and Iowa Cubs podcast. Before we get into final story time, check us out online at iowacubs.com where you can check out all present, future, and past episodes. Also, subscribe to Unwritten Rules on Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts, and Amazon Music. Now, John, the title of this podcast is Unwritten Rules, where we want to get into... You know, things that are that are not written down, that the average fan can't see by just coming to the game. John, you and I have been lucky to stay in the hotels with the team, travel on the bus with the team, celebrate with the team. Any celebrations? Have, did you win any minor league championships, any rings, anything like that? No, Cedar Rapids has not won a Midwest League title since 1994, so we never even made it to the finals, but... I would say you mentioned sweeping a series. Uh, we swept a, just a four-game series in Kane County, but uh, our equipment manager, Ron Pline, also known as Rody, and he, he's well-known in the uh, Cedar Rapids community, he came on the bus and uh, did a little dance with his big keychain with all the keys, and the guys like to give Rody a hard time, but when, when Rody did that after a game as the equipment manager, um, it just – 
you know, he's, he was 40 years older than the rest of the guys, the players, and they just got a, a big kick out of that. And that, that may seem like a small thing and something that's, you know, not what's the big deal about that. But you remember those little things, Alex. Um, Ramon Ortiz in 1997 pitched a no-hitter, and I remember the celebration on the field um, a, a, after that game. I remember uh, the guys um, – uh, having a celebration after winning, either winning the first round of a playoff or qualifying for the playoffs. Did and, you partake in the celebration? Well, in the sense, yes, the guys wanted me to uh, be a part of it. And that made me feel so welcome because it made me know they realized that I work hard too at my job and that it's fun. And the, uh, the fact that they would include me as the broadcaster and not a part of the playing team in uniform, that meant a lot to me, yeah. We had a celebration here in 2019 uh, after we won the PCL American Northern Division Championship uh, for the first time in, in over a decade that it was fun. It was a Friday night here at Principal Park. We won. We had major league rehabbers here. Uh, you know, Wilson Contreras was here. David Bodie was up and down at that point. Albert Almora was here. Daniel Descalso was here when we did win. And uh, the team had had a nice celebration, and deservingly so. Everybody was safe and didn't drive and really got to enjoy themselves, and the staff did too. And the next day, we almost got no hits and ended up losing. I think it was, what, 2 nothing, 3 nothing. We had, like, two total base runners. We had one hit in the ninth inning, and it was a squib. And I would love to see the, the runs per game and the batting average and the win-loss records for team the day after they <laughs> clinch a division. I bet it's pretty low. <laughs> you just gave a, an example of that, Alex, and I'm glad that you were a part of that and, and our staff. And, you know, it, you work so hard to, to either win a championship or qualify for the playoffs or do something special. It's – Every now and then you do have to live, as they say, smell the roses and, 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 and be joyful about, about what you do. All right, John, I have one final question before we end the episode. As a broadcaster, and I think I could speak for you, my biggest fear is that I'll go on a bus trip or a plane ride and I'll forget the equipment. And that's like in my in my dreams, like some people have like certain nightmares that that revisit themselves before certain time each year. I have that nightmare a week before the season every year. Have you ever forgot the equipment or has there ever been like a moment where you get to the booth and you realize you don't have your charger, you don't have your computer, you don't have your scorebook? What has happened? Great question. And it did happen to me that very thing. I was too young in the business to have the fear of it. It was my first year, I believe. I left the equipment in Cedar Rapids. A fellow named Marty, who's no longer with the Kane County Cougars, he was their media relations guy. He somehow, now this is in the day when we didn't have as sophisticated, nice equipment as we do now. Um, but he got me uh, the equipment, and I didn't know what to do except keep thanking him and thanking him because I felt I'm six foot five. I felt about an inch tall. To that, that I, I got this big lump in my throat and just this. Oh no! Yeah, that's what you call anxiety. Yes, yeah. but this fellow Marty bailed me out and. You know, I I think I've misplaced my scorebook several times over the years, and that's hard to do because I have I use a really big scorebook, but that always sent uh, waves of panic 
uh, above me a couple of times, Alex, with an MP3 player. I thought I would be recording a player interview. I either hit the wrong button or did something, usually hit the wrong button or didn't hit a button, had to go sheepishly back to the player or coach and say, you're not going to believe this. It didn't record because of me. So those things have happened, yes. I have two. So we had a bus ride. I think it was my first or second year in Huntsville, which would have been I was 23 or 24. And I took a nap on the bus. We were going to Jacksonville. And I took a nap on the bus. And in my dream in, during the nap is that I forgot my equipment. And I woke up and I thought it was real. And I said, you got to stop the bus. I have to check below to make sure that we have the equipment. And our manager at the time, Darnell, was just like, all right, we're going to be pissed if you don't have the equipment. We're going to be more pissed or we're going to be pissed if you do have the equipment because you stopped us. We're going to be more pissed if you don't have the equipment. So if you don't have the equipment, we're finding you. If you do have the equipment, we're just going to give you crap. And I did have the equipment. So they just did, they just gave me crap. So that was a lot of fun. Uh, I've had a couple times where my equipment is short circuited, you know, either the computer shuts down or, you know, the equipment power source cuts out where I've had to broadcast games on a phone. Have you ever had to broadcast a game on a phone? I have, Alex. I good uh, example of that happens to many broadcasters. And it, you, you're saying, what's the quality of this thing? And then you're having to use just one hand to maneuver and binoculars and score keep. So, yes, I have. And it's kind of a... a hopeless feeling but then you think well at least for the time being the, the fans can hear the game well how do they do that without cell phones because you broadcast it, it in an era without it, cell phones yes we would have actual uh plug-in phones you mean like a landline yes in the booth What's yes that? yes we a did <laughs> my my first broadcast in rookie ball which was 2015 in idaho falls we were playing at ogden and going into the booth i'm setting up the equipment you know obviously you got the first game jitters and the equipment's not working. And I, uh, their, their general manager's walking through the press box, say, hey, um, do you know if you guys have electricity here? Do you have a landline? He's like, oh, we forgot to do that. <laughs> we could get it to you for tomorrow, but today you're kind of out of luck. And it's like, it's the first game of the season. It's my first year with the organization. What do you want me to do? And he's like, well, you have a cell phone. Make sure it's charged. So I broadcasted the entire three-hour, 14-minute game on a cell phone, my first broadcast with the Idaho Falls Chuckers. So you can only go up from there. Yep. And lo and behold, the day after, he restored the, you know, the power, mm -hmm. and he restored the Internet service, and he restored the landline, and we were fine. But my, my first broadcast for a team for the season opening day uh, uh, was on the phone. That's a, a timing and coincidence that would be – hard as a as a first-time game broadcaster i i credit you alex for keeping your cool and and getting it done you really have a choice yeah well that's true but it would really shake somebody up especially their first broadcast all right i know that i said that the last question was my last question but now this is my actual last question your favorite place to travel to as a broadcaster favorite ballpark favorite stadium uh favorite visiting broadcaster well favorite uh ballpark was pr it wasn't a ostentatious or brand new uh glittery uh, all the bells and whistles but i love going to appleton wisconsin it's awesome it's a great it, atmosphere it, it is wisconsin people in wisconsin are hardy sports fans and 
now the dean of the Midwest League, Chris Marion, uh, and their general manager, Rob Zerjev. I would always remember Rob, the general manager of the Timber Rattlers, coming in, and you can imagine how busy a general manager is for a home game. He would come in and talk to me for 15 minutes. We'd share uh, what are some of the new good promotions, how's your season going, uh, what about the, how was your Brett Favre celebrity uh, charity softball game, how are things going in Cedar Rapids, John? So I, I loved, it's an open-air amphitheater-like ballpark, and uh, doesn't have a view of a skyline or anything, but as you mentioned, Alex, it's just a, a really fun place it, to broadcast. It's kind of what A ball should mm-hmm. be like. It's yeah. what you would expect single A. Yeah. If you have like a, a the definition of single A baseball in a dictionary or a poster tra- or, or, or a or card or postcard, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it would be that. Yeah, and in so, my opinion, and I would always go up and see uh, the uh, Packers Hall of Fame and take a tour of not always, but I took a tour of Lambeau Field, downtown Appleton's of thriving little college town uh, Lawrence University is there just south of Appleton is Oshkosh where they have a wonderful air museum that I enjoyed going to so that I and I I loved really Alex I loved every minute of the 15 years in the Midwest League so there were no bad experiences or subpar ballparks uh, even the older historic ones were that they were historic so but yeah I'd, I'd, I'd say Appleton was my favorite All right, Appleton was your favorite my favorite my first ever road trip was in Jacksonville Florida uh, Huntsville Stars were playing the Jacksonville Suns and their team hotel was at the Hyatt downtown and it was beautiful they had a big buffet at the bottom they had a rooftop pool with bar service uh, you know, or pool bar service. I'm like, man, this is minor league baseball travel. I could get used to this. My second trip, and I'm not going to reveal where it was to, but the hotel that I went to was clearly used. So you go from like the cream of the crop to yeah, a lot lower than that. Oh, so gosh. it was the opposite of <laughs> spectrums when it came to hotels. It was. I, I would have wished that it went the opposite. Like I went to the bad hotel first, and then the good hotel. But going from the good hotel to the bad hotel, it's just it's a crashing <laughs> halt. It hurts. <laughs> it, it was brutal. But John, I really appreciate you joining us. Uh, that was my last question. I'm going to go on record say it was my last question. Any final words before we let you duck out of here? Well, just Alex, there's nothing is. I don't know who said it, but it's in my office. Nothing great in life is accomplished without enthusiasm. And also, uh, knowledge without goodness is not a good combination. Your enthusiasm in our sales meetings, I listen to your broadcasts. Uh, It's a pleasure being a colleague of yours. You are very talented, but as I used to say when I coached, talent without being humble and hardworking and gracious to people is nothing. So I, I appreciate you selecting me to have this opportunity. I loved every uh, every question, and, and I appreciate it. John, do you have Venmo? Can I give you a tip for that, those nice words? <laughs> no. no, I didn't yeah. think you would have Venmo. You have a smartphone, though, so you might. <laughs> and I don't, have cash, I don't have cash on me because it's 2022. <laughs> but we'll discuss I'm, the compensation later. Well, Alex, I mean it. You do a great job. Thank you. Appreciate it, John. That's another fun episode of Unwritten Rules. Again, for past, present, and future episodes, check out iowacubs.com. Follow the Iowa Cubs on all social media outlets. And for Unwritten Rules, make sure you subscribe to Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts, and Amazon Music. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you next week.